My name is Randy Young. This session is called Mobilizing a Church to Send, Next Level Mission, Partnership, and Engagement. Uh, this session is uh, really born out of a, of a passion and a concern as to how do we take the church and the people of God to next level understanding, next level passion for, and commitment to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And um, I believe that to grow in mission is to grow in understanding missions. There's really an educational component to all this, isn't that right? We need to grow in our understanding of who God is, what his mission is, and what he's doing around the world right now, and how we can be a part of that. We need to grow in understanding. We need to grow in, in, in passion. We need to grow in practice. And, and I, I believe that generally in our walk with Jesus, that, that all transformation, we're talk, I, I'm talking about how do we transform the understanding of the people of God. I can wander a little bit, so I had this clipped on, right? How do, we, how do we bring transformation that brings greater passion? All, all transformation in our walk with Jesus really begins with revelation. We hear a message. We read something in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit drops something in our heart. We have an experience of some sort. And there's this revelation, if I could describe it this way. It's like going to the theater, and you take your seat, and you see these curtains. Alright? And you're wondering, what's behind the curtain? And there's anticipation. And then suddenly, boom, the curtains roll back, and it's revealed to you what that first set looks like in the play. Isn't that right? Boom. Revelation. I didn't see it before, but now I see it. I want to see missions revelation and understanding restored to the people of God again. But between, if revelation is key to transformation, then in between revelation that has the promise of transformation, there's this little important component, and it's called obedience. It's one thing to have God show us something and to understand the promise of the change that can bring in our lives. Isn't that right? But there's this little thing in the middle called obedience. And, and when we choose to obey and walk in what has been revealed to our hearts, we end up looking a little bit more like Jesus. We end up acting a little bit more like Jesus. And our, our passions are aligned a little bit more to His passions. And I want us to think today, you know... Um, this isn't a how-to session. What God's in my heart is, how do we get there to grow passion in the body of Christ and the followers of Jesus? How do, we, how do we get to the next level in these things? Uh, during this pandemic, I've had random moments of revelation that I, they've been pretty transformative to me. Uh, just, just this Tuesday, I woke up a little bit earlier than normal in the morning and I'm laying there with my head on the pillow and suddenly there's just in my mind this panorama of God's history and the majestic work of God 
the mission of God throughout time, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking of the majesty of His plan. I'm thinking of the players in the plan from Old Testament to New Testament through church history to today, and I'm, uh, and, and in my mind, I'm seeing the detail, and like I said, the majesty and the surprise and the perfection of the plan of God to reach the whole world, and it's an incredible plan. And it's a staggering plan, and it's a detailed plan, and it's, it's a plan that's promised to be fulfilled in Revelation 7, 4, uh, 7, 9, that one day around the throne there'll be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And, and, and I'm thinking, and, and i, I got to tell you, I'm laying in bed first thing in the morning with my head on the pillow, and tears are coming out of the corner of my eyes and streaming down. I'm just getting a glimpse of the incredible plan of God to use His church to reach the nations, to finish the job. And I thought, the only thing left to finish, the majestic plan of God, to wrap this whole thing up, is the obedience of the church. That's all that's left. So what does it mean to think in terms of taking the people we love and serve to the next level of understanding of the plan of God and the purposes of God and the engagement in all of this. We, we, need, we need fresh revelation as a church that can lead to the transformation of the whole world, finishing the job. But in between that revelation and that transformation is a passion to obey, obey and complete the Great Commission. I mean, today... Dave had his workshop on, you know, teams in the church that we can mobilize to be more effective and get more people involved in local church and in the mission work of the church. And Katrina had her great session on short-term missions. And, and Steve and our Chi Alpha team would just knocked it out of the park with how to befriend internationals because God has brought them. You know, the nations are our neighbors now. We don't have to cross the seas. We just need to be willing to cross the streets to reach nations and and fantastic session so this final session with our missions track here is I guess more of a heart and passion thing um, ground zero convictions and practices to consider that hopefully can speak to us so I, I want to start this way okay that was just a prelude imagine a church with me alright imagine a church today that ultimately sends one out of every ten members into full time mission work Imagine a church that has one praying person engaged in Great Commission intercession around the clock every hour for an entire year. Can you imagine your local church with one praying person committed to every hour of every day for praying for the completion of the Great Commission for one year? Imagine a church that strategically involves its kids and teens in the mission of God outside the four walls of the church. And that church is passionate. There's a growing passion in that church to see the glory of God covering every tribe and tongue on the planet. Imagine a church that creates a pipeline of opportunity for its kids to ultimately be engaged somewhere in the world in the work of God. Sound impossible? There once was a church called the Moravian Church. The Moravian Church sent one out of ten of its members 
to the nations. One in ten. A tithe of their church was given to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I'm not talking about financial tithe. I'm talking about people. The Moravian church had a prayer meeting solely dedicated to the fulfillment of the Great Commission that went 24-7 for over 100 years. Moravian church created a pipeline where the called among them could be identified, trained, prepared, discipled, sent out. And the Moravian church was passionate about the glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the seas, every nation, tribe, and tongue, to the point that two of the members of the church, Dober and Nietzschean, Dober was a potter, Nietzschean was a carpenter, but God stirred in them a passion to reach the West Indies with the gospel, specifically the slave population in the 1700s in the West Indies. They were unreached, completely unreached. They did their homework, and they found out that the only way they would be allowed to reach the slave population of the West Indies was to become slaves themselves, to sign their lives away for the rest of their lives. That's what they did. The 8th of October, 1732, they got on a great clipper ship. Can you imagine the church family on the dock with that send-off? Never to come back again. But what they had received in their church, what had shaped their hearts and mind and passions, came out as they stood on the bow of that boat. And as it moved out into the harbor, they shouted at the top of their lungs, the Lamb is worthy to receive glory from the slave population of the West End. The Lamb is worthy. They were captivated with a vision of the glory of God and the worship of Jesus from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So there's three drivers to this uh, session here, in my mind. Um, one is, is that there's still over 7,000 unreached people groups on the planet today. With no church on their soil, in their language, and in their culture, where people from those tribes and tongues, their heads, heads hit the pillow every night, wondering, why am I alive? And is there a purpose? Never hearing the name of Jesus one time. The second driver is our own Ohio Missions, Ohio for Jesus Missions driver. And uh, Pastor Dave, our goals for 2030 are lofty. 250 new personnel over the decade. $20 million raised. Hmm? Where are those laborers going to come from? And what has to happen, not... What has to happen in the, in the hearts of our churches to embrace those goals and to facilitate them? Um, the third is, um, and I came across this term in my readings recently, it's a, missions, it's a term that missionaries are using today, and it's, it's Latin, sinequinons. I mean, have you ever heard this before? But a sinequinon is a Latin term that li literally means without which not. In other words, if this doesn't happen, this ain't going to never happen. All right? And two sine qua nons of missions today are, one, intercession. If strategic intercession for the nations does not ramp up, this will never happen. 
Okay? And here's a scripture for me for you, Psalm 2.8. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. I love it. And the ends of the earth for your possession. The second, oh here's a here's a quote. I love this. Andrew Murray. The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. The sine qua non, the non-negotiable of strategic intercession. Here's the second one, mobilization. Very simply summed up in John 20, 21 with Jesus saying, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Mobilizers. People who are contagious and doing everything they can to reach, train, resource, and send people to the harvest. Hmm? Here's a quote. Uh, John R. Mott, that's SVM Student Volunteer Movement. He was uh, one of the founders of the Student Volunteer Movement, the late 1800s, early 1900s, from our college campuses. Over 100,000 students committed their lives to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Over 20,000 went in the next 10 to 15 years. The other 80,000 supported them going. But John Armott was a mobilizer because here's what, here was his conviction. He who does the work is not so profitably employed as he who multiplies the doers. Hmm? And this non-negotiable of intercession, this non-negotiable of mobilization, that was the Moravian church. 100 years nonstop. One in ten. One of the things that has really been challenging me through this pandemic, because I can't tell you how many trips to the nations have been shut down, for me personally, not a lot of people, is the revelation that I can go into all the world. Jesus said going to all the world, isn't that right? I can go into all the world every day on my knees and make a difference on the planet. We could go into all the world every day. Some people go by their presence. Some people go by prayer. But this is one of the ways that all the church can go into all the world all the time every day is by grabbing a hold of the intercession leg of the Great Commission. Now notice the two synchronons of intercession mobilization. Notice that neither one of them was about money. Although money is really important. But they had the conviction that great commission giving, generous great commission giving, is crucial. But that money always follows vision. It always follows prayer. And it always follows mobilization. So... Um, um, one day, it's been about a year and a half ago now, I woke up with another one of those random burning thoughts. Doesn't happen all the time, but thank God it's been happening more regularly lately. And I woke up with this thought, Lord, what's it going to take to finish the task? Immediately in my mind, just three things. We need a whole new wave of pioneers. We need a whole new wave of intercessors focused on the Great Commission. In my mind, I said, God, I just, Lord, how do, how do we get 25,000? How do we mobilize 25,000 intercessors? 
who commit to regular prayer for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And then we need a whole new wave of passion in the local church, in the North American church, to see Jesus glorified. The glory of Jesus amongst every tribe and tongue. About three weeks later, I got a call from Mark Doreen, who oversees all Assembly of God missionaries in Southeast Asia, five nations, Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar, uh, Laos, Cambodia. And he said, Randy, I've been thinking. Um, he said, um, we need a whole new wave of pioneers for Southeast Asia. <laughs> and he said, can you help us think of ways that we can raise up 25,000 intercessors? Just boom, boom, boom. Everything God had put on my heart. And I knew that we were onto something. And this is what's really, that's what really jump-started this whole study and growing passion in my heart for these things. So it begs the question, you know, so where do we start? How do we get to the next level of partnership and engagement? First of all, I think we need to start, okay? We need to start where the Bible starts. We need to recover the truth that our God is a God on a mission. I, I think, just being honest, how many people that sit in our pews understand that? Hmm? How many know what a 1040 window is? Or an unreached people group is? Yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, I, I'm just... Our understanding needs to go to a whole other level. Um, start, where the, start where the Bible starts with God on a mission. This... You know, I grew up in a really missions-minded church. I went to a mission-minded Bible college. But what I'm about to share with you, I never heard until I was in my 40s. It never hit me that the Bible is the story of God on a mission. It is one story. All right? It's 66 books loaded with great stories of people's lives and we can take all kinds of great object lessons and character studies from and all that but bottom line Genesis 1 through 11 for me now is like like the warm up to the story of God I mean we get we get creation isn't that right not as much detail as we'd like but we do get creation we get the fall we understand about the flood and then we get Babel, we get a glimpse of how tribes and tongues were scattered all over the planet. And then in Genesis 12, God starts a mission by choosing a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. And God starts his kingdom plan. And throughout the rest of Scripture, you see this pattern that he promised to Abraham. God brings his blessings down on his people that we might reach and bless others that they might taste and see that the Lord is good and turn glory and honor and praise to God. That's the pattern. The psalmist picks up on this in Psalm 67 when he says, God be gracious, bless us, and make your face shine upon us. That's verse 1. Verse 2 gives us the reason why for the blessing, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all people. So, so God on a mission, the story of the Bible, and all those stories of the Bible, I, I was sitting with a children's specialist a couple of weeks ago my wife and I had lunch with this couple and we're just talking about this stuff and I said you know I love the Old Testament stories I love the characters I love the the, the, the lessons we can you know Daniel and, and perseverance and 
Joseph and forget. Yeah, there's just so, you know what I'm talking about, right? But I said, this has been a revelation to me. That with every one of those stories, there's a, there's a second set of characters. And that's the nations. For, for God so loved Egypt, he sent Joseph. For God so loved Babylon, he sent Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. For God so loved Persia, he raised up an Esther. For God so loved Nineveh, well, he finally got Jonah there. Is that right? So, big fish, but he got him there. And, and all these stories, to recover the truth that the Bible doesn't just contain the mission, it is our mission's manual. And it really begs this question, and we'll get into some dialogue here in a minute. This is, I just got to get this off my chest if that's okay. It, just, it begs the question, does God's church have a mission or does God's mission have a church? The very reason for the church to exist is the mission of God. So the Bible is a finished book. Please don't try to write book number 67. You may have some issues and there may be some judgment along the way. Isn't that right? The Bible is a finished book, but the story of God is still being written. And God wants to write a chapter through your life and my life. God wants to write a fresh chapter through our churches and through our people. In the story of God until... Until the story's done. So we, we have to start where the Bible starts, God on a mission. How do we go to the next level of partnership and engagement? We've got to recover what it means to be a disciple. And I, we don't have time to really unpack this except to say this. For me, to disciple another person is to see, to see replicated in them three things. The character of Jesus. In other words, as they're being discipled, they're starting to look a little bit more like Jesus. The ways of Jesus. In other words... As they're being discipled, they're starting to think more like Jesus. But we can't stop there. To disciple someone is to replicate the character, ways, and mission of Jesus in another person. We've got to recover that. It would be unthinkable for Jesus or Paul to disciple someone that is totally disconnected with the Great Commission. With the mission of God. We need to recover what it means to be a disciple and we need to restore we must restore the mission of God to all the people of God, all the people of God. This mission thing is not just for a select group of professionals and for people who feel like taking a trip every once in a while. It's a way of life. It's a passion for all the people of God. And I'm, I'm just saying, God, how do we get there? How, how do we get there? Um, restoring the mission of God, I was thinking, you know, you go back to the early 1500s, and it was a huge paradigm shift, transformational moment in the church. Because of the Gutenberg printing press, the Bible was now being able to be printed in the language of the people. So in the 1500s, the Word of God was restored to the people of God. In the 60s and 70s, you know, back when Dave started his ministry. Uh, no, no, you know, I mean, you think about it, I'm just picking on you, but, but 
suddenly we started talking about spiritual gifts and finding your ministry. And, and it was not just about the pastor doing everything, but the pastor equipping the people, as Ephesians 4 says, to, to get the people doing the work of the ministry and find your spiritual gift and know what God's... You know. So in the 60s and 70s, God began to, store, began to restore the work of God to the people of God. And I believe that God wants to bring another seismic shift today where the mission of God is restored to the people of God, all the people of God. So I, I wrote down here 12 core convictions on finishing the task. Um, I'm just going to read through them, but there's something that's been growing in me. It's kind of like what I'm, it's in process, but it's what I believe about the Great Commission, all right? And uh, you can do with these whatever you want, but I believe the whole church is called to take the whole gospel to the whole world. I believe the local church is still the hope of the world and that its living head, Jesus, is its only Savior. That gets debated a lot today. We've got to hang on to that. I believe missions exist because worship doesn't yet. This is a John Piper saying here. But what's John getting at here? I, missions exist because worship doesn't. What, what's he saying? Help me out here. What's he saying? Missions exist because the worship doesn't. People need to be saved, so worship happens. And there are over 7,000 people groups on the planet right now where no worship is going to the throne of God because the church has not been established there. There are no believers in their culture. So missions exist, and that's why I threw in the word yet because it helps me with the quote. Missions exist because worship does not yet in over 7,000 people groups on the planet. Missions is not going to go on to eternity. Worship will. But until there, you know, several years ago I had the chance to baptize the first known believers in the Newcock tribe in the center of Columbia. It's like, pinch me. I get to do this, all right? <laughs> and my thought was, Lord, for the first time in the history of the world, praise is going to the throne of God in the Newcock tongue. And I'm thinking, that has to happen 7,000 more times. And until that's happening, wish missions exist. Because worship does not yet in those languages. Uh, here's, the, here's the next one. Um, I believe this generation of Christians is responsible for the lost on the planet Earth today and can finish the job. I believe that. I believe every Christian will stand before God's throne one day to give an account for their passion for and engagement in God's global harvest. I believe that. Thank God we know Jesus, isn't that right? We won't, we won't stand before the throne one day with the conversation, are you going left or right? That's already settled, praise God. huh? But I do believe we'll stand before the Lord one day and give an account of how we leveraged time, talent, and treasure into his great passion of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Um, I believe all people on this planet are equally lost, but all do not have equal access to the gospel. So when people ask me, Randy, why are you going over there? Aren't there enough lost people right here where you live? Yeah, they're equally lost. There's no doubt about it. The question is a question of access. I tell them, what are you doing about it? Okay, here you go, Dale. What are you doing about it? Yeah. But, but in my community, I can drive down the street, and in five minutes I pass five churches. 
We can go to people groups in the world where you could drive hundreds of miles in any direction and never see a building with a steeple on top. So it's about access, okay? Um, I believe that Jesus did not just come to save people, but peoples, and that the task remaining is to see his church planted in the language and, and on the soil of every indigenous tribe. What are we getting at here? Again, don't you have lost people where you live? Jesus did just to come to save people. Otherwise, there's plenty of work to do in North, Northeast Ohio. He came to save peoples, tribes and tongues. He kept moving. Thank you, Dave. Yep. And so we keep moving. For me, missions <laughs> missions is like a big scavenger hunt. And we get to go collect people groups for Jesus. It's not just about seeing people saved. It's about seeing peoples saved. And that's why we have to send missionaries still to over 7,000 tribes. Um, I believe the local church involved in international aid work without reference to or communication of the gospel should be called the Peace Corps. I believe in a world full of injustices. The greatest injustice today is that a person can live their whole life on earth and never hear the name of Jesus one time. I believe God is still calling people to full-time cross-cultural pioneer work, and they are key to fulfilling the Great Commission. I believe the task will not be completed without strategic, concerted intercession in and from the local church. And I believe Jesus is coming again, and when he does, the opportunity for harvest will be over. There's just emerging convictions. Uh, let's talk about it for just a second. What strikes you so far? Huh? Anything getting your attention? Is God underlining anything in your heart right now, Dave? Yeah. Back to the number three. Yeah. God is on a mission. We've got Dick Brockman's book out here by the door, mm-hmm. Missionary God, Missionary Bible. Mm-hmm. And every day is a study, and he takes that scripture reading from that day and makes it about missions. So, the title again, Dick Brogdon's book? Dick Brogdon's book, Missionary God, Missionary Bible. Missionary God, Missionary Bible. So it's a daily devotional. It points every scripture back to the Great Commission. And how many days does it go for? year. It's a whole year, 365 days. It will mess up your life. <laughs> It'll mess you up. Yeah, I thought two. Once because he it's on the table just right at the doors you're exiting. Yeah. Five bucks. You... Yeah. Grab grab a handful. Pay for them, but grab a handful. <laughs> yeah. No, um, this is one of the ways that that we can get contagious is by putting resources in the hands of people that helps them get it or grow in it. So um, th- just a time for question and answer. Anything else striking you? or getting your attention, or is this old hat, is it stirring anything in you right now, or what's capturing your imagination as we, we talk about the sine qua nons of intercession, mobilization? Yeah. I really liked uh, <clears throat> the part where you said, you know, neither of those was about money. Mm-hmm. I, I just had a thought, you know, uh, a while ago, like, Whenever you talk to a church about their missions, uh, you know, impact, they always talk about how much they give to missions. Hmm. And I was like, what if, what if we started judging our, our missions program uh-huh. by how many missionaries we create? Yeah. You know, it's it's not about. I mean, the money helps. Yeah, and it's necessary. 
But, but if you're not creating missionaries, if you're not sending people out, then I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe capturing a vision, you know, and we can say, and it, it's exciting that you, we say it's not about the money, but Dave said they're thinking, I'm tasked to raise $20 million in the next 10 years. Okay? <laughs> but but it, it can't just be about the money. I, I, we're, we're, we're on a slippery slope, I think, within the fellowship to say, all oh, the adults do a faith promise every year. All oh, the teens do um, speed the light. All oh, the kids do buddy barrel. How do we take seven and eight-year-olds and teach them to pray for the nations? This this lady I told you about that was a children's specialist. As we had that conversation about a second set of characters, the nations, and she said, "This has just changed the way I want to do kids' church. Every story I tell, I want the kids to understand it wasn't just about that character, but who God was receiving glory through in the tribes, tongues, and nations as that story unfolds in the Word of God." That's right. <laughs> and he'll mess them up even further. Break that down for a child. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, Dave Kidd in the back and Scott here. Uh, and Dave, jump in on this. And gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Patrick, thank you. Man, you took your tag off. Um, I did too. Um, these, these guys are missions thinkers are on state missions teams and have been involved in missions for a long time and so we're not setting a panel up up here but just for a few minutes I want us to talk guys tell us about the church that you grew up in and how maybe a missions passion just in a nutshell might shape who you are today and how you're engaged with missions <laughs> yeah we're from the same the three of us are from the same home church we, we grew up it seemed like every Sunday night, you know, back when we used to have Sunday night church, the, the church that we grew up in, uh, Bethel Temple in Dayton, Ohio, we had a missionary speaker. And so we were challenged every Sunday night and then spent, seemed like, hours around the altar, you know, praying yeah. for the nations. And, and when you look back on that period of time, I don't, you know, from our youth groups, yeah. I don't know how many are in full-time ministry today. Yep. All over the world. Pretty big. But the influence of what our pastor did for us during that time period and the impact that it had on our lives to bring us to where we are today, I'm wondering if we've missed something with this generation mm -hmm. passing that torch on and giving them those opportunities. Yeah, One yeah. What we're doing is every two week or every two months, we're having our Rangers and Girls Ministries. We still have that. Okay. It's every Wednesday night. Every two months, we bring every Ranger and every Girls Ministry girl into our sanctuary for the Wednesday night last half hour, and we lay our hands on them and we pray over them. Mm. It's not every night, every mm -hmm. Sunday night, but it's at least once out of every two months. And it's amazing because those kids are saying, that's the neatest service. That's the neatest love it. we have when all the adults regularly praying laying hands on the kids in the church excellent Dave what kind of church did you grow up in uh, let me preface this I did not grow up in an AG okay yeah uh, but uh, I grew up in a serving church and we were not just taught we, we caught uh, having a compassionate heart for people and we grew up serving mm-hmm 
and we grew up uh, not just meeting felt needs, but we grew up, you know, evangelizing. We we grew up with this, uh, I won't say requirement, but with this expectation that as as a follower of Jesus, this is not just what we do; this is who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that has shaped forever shaped my life. Mm. And as I look back at that group uh, of that church, uh, from the time we were kids and in, in, in what was then children's ministry to youth group, um, I just thought of this the other, tallied it up the other day, uh, 70% of us are in ministry. Wow, 70% in the ministry, because you grew up in a church where, as a kid, you were involved in serving all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I, I since my days of youth ministry a long time ago on Planet 8 track, all right? (laughs) Uh, um, I've always had this conviction, and I tell parents, I don't care how talented, gifted, called your kid is, if they don't have a heart for people or learn how to serve others, it is useless to God. It's useless to God. And that's one of the biggest challenges, it seems, in these new generations. Mm -hmm. Because they've been so culturized to me, 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 they don't know what it's, they, they need to be taught to serve. They need to be taught to serve. And the flip side of that is, is that I'm convinced once a child or a teenager experiences what it's like to have the Holy Spirit work through them to make a difference in somebody else's situation, that that is, uh, that's transformational. It's addictive. And it put kids and teens, Dave, like the 70, it came 70%, in a place where they say, man, I, God's using me right now. I mean, we got to get a hold of this. Jesus at age 12 said, I've got, Mom, don't you know? I'm thinking, was Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. Was he driving his mother crazy? <laughs> Mom, don't you know? I've got to be about my father's business. And, and I'm thinking, he had two understandings in that moment. One is he had a father in heaven that he was connected to. And secondly, that his Father in Heaven had a business that he was supposed to be a part of. And if we can get kids by age 12 understanding that they've got a relational connection with the Creator God of the universe, and he's got an operation, a global operation that they get to be a part of, how much does that help them navigate the tough years of junior high, high school, and college? Hmm? Patrick, how about you? What kind of church did you grow up in? Um, that's where I'm a little different than everybody else. I didn't grow up in church. Okay. So I didn't. Um, I, I met Jesus as a, at the end of my junior year in high school. Hmm. And so I had literally one year in a youth ministry um, that honestly didn't talk much about missions. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure our ch- I wasn't around the church. Okay. Before. I'm sure they loved missions. I'm sure they probably participated in that. Where missions captured my attention was when I was challenged. Um, by a missionary in a church service when I was on staff as a youth pastor. <laughs> and the missionary challenged us to give to missions, and I wasn't given anything to missions. Hmm. And, and he told some stories and was challenged to give. And um, I was just, a little while ago, was just doing the math. Um, because a mission's heart has to start. It's easy for us to hear what you're saying mm-hmm. and say, well, yeah, my church needs to do that. Hmm. No, I need to do that. Yeah, that's good. It has to start with me. The mission's heart in my church is going to flow out of my own mission's heart. Yep. So I started asking the question a few years ago. I was 
fortunate to inherit a strong missions church. Um, Pastor Musgrave just built that into the church, so it was easy mm. to come and say, hey, you need to get to missions. They're like, woo! You know, it wasn't a struggle, but it was for me. And so I just started challenging myself every year, I'm going to give a little bit more, and I'm going to give a little bit more, and I'm going to give a little bit more. Mm. And um, to date, um, and I just want to encourage anybody else in here who might be struggling with it, to date, I'm now... I told my wife, she didn't know, and I told her. <laughs> she was like, we get, we're get, we doing how much? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm giving away now 3% of my income mm-hmm. goes to missions, which for some people doesn't sound like a lot. I'm sure there's people in this room, you're giving away a lot more. Mm. But for where I started and where I'm at now, it just, you have to, you have to start and then cultivate mm-hmm. and then God will grow. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, you're ahead. Clarify for for everybody in the room. That's on top of his ten percent. Exactly. Yeah, it's three percent on top of the tithe. Yeah. Yeah. Said, yeah. No. Yeah. Grocery yeah. <laughs> 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 so, so, and you're getting. Do you want to be grossly blessed or not? <laughs> <laughs> so that's getting into the final segment. But I'll, I'll throw this thought out. It's later in the notes. It comes down to. Um, if we're going to be contagious with the Great Commission, we've got to become tour guides and not travel agents. Travel agents sell tickets to places they're not going to themselves. Tour guides say, I'm going on this journey. Will you come with me? Do you want to come with me? Wow. You, have to, you have to cultivate the heart in yourself first. It starts with us. Yeah. That's good. Let's be uh, tour guides. Randy, yeah. They were saved for a life of service. Yep. I just kind of drilled that into them. I said, your salvation wasn't fire insurance. Talk about kids in the church, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, something that's really important is that they realize that our joy comes through our service. I don't know about you, but when I'm doing something for the Lord, when I'm helping somebody or doing something mission-wise, it just brings a, a huge sense of joy to me. Yeah. And I, I often think, and I feel sorry for those that are not serving in any manner because we're missing out that joy that comes from Jesus to our service to others. And that's mission. That's mission. That's and teaching our kids that, you know, that, you know, your joy, because I, I often think how difficult is it going to be, you know, if things get hard down the road, if, if they're getting joy from something other than their service to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's so this next question, guys, jump in on this, but I'm going to open up to everybody here. So how can we or how have you engaged the whole church or different age groups in the church and the mission of God? I mean, if or, how, how have you gotten beyond, and I'm not downplaying this, but the buddy barrels and the speed of lights to immersing the next generation or adults in your church in the mission of God? Maybe there's some things that you're doing or best practices or, or uh, things that you've heard about other churches doing um, that, that can help us today. Help us take it to the next level. You You'll never know till you go. So getting everybody out there. And for David, for you, that's cross-culturally, stateside or international. What I, How many teams have you led as a pastor? And uh, I know you probably can't count, but 25. 25 to 30 probably. Yeah. Okay. And Dave, you took, you've taken students to uh, South Dakota. Yeah. And what, what do you guys do there? Missionaries on the, the uh, Rosebud Reservation. That's the, that's the Lakota mm-hmm. Sioux Indian. Mm-hmm. And 
it's a cross-cultural experience um, without leaving the geographical country, you know, because it is an entirely different culture. Uh, it stretches them. Uh, it puts them in very uncomfortable positions. Um, and, and, and God uses that to, to stretch them. That's a good thing. It, it is. You know, um, case in point, I, I told you, Randy, uh, spiritual warfare, sometimes that is their very first uh, encounter with spiritual warfare. You're, you walk out of the church building and there's a wide open field and there's no buildings around, there's nobody around, and you hear the drums, the ceremonial drums. Hmm. You know, where's that coming from? And then they realize, oh. Hmm. And, and we teach them, okay, we're going to pray in the name of Jesus mm -hmm. against that, against that demonic, you know, and, and their, their eyes come open, you know, and so they're able to experience that, and, and that profoundly impacts them. Hmm. Hmm. I'm thinking back to you guys talking about Sunday night services and a missionary all the time in churches, and being around the altars and praying for nations and all that. And I'm thinking, maybe we don't go back to Sunday night services, but we've got to come up with a way to recover that element of life in the church. And Scott, you know, through your years of children's ministry, you found a lot of ways to get kids outside the four walls of the church just serving in the community. What's some of your favorite activities that you guys have done with, with elementary kids? Yeah, one is, you know, a huge opportunity is nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And elderly people love life. Mm -hmm. Kids can come in with their giftings, whether they played the guitar or sang or whatever they did, they would present their giftings and then we would sing along. And then we would give gifts to those in the nursing home, those that are residents and actually the workers. Mm -hmm. uh, we would do hope bracelets and it's just colored beads and it would spell out the plan of salvation and mm -hmm. we would use it as a craft and they would make it alongside with the kids. Always had the kids hug them and let them know that some of these uh, people mm. may be the last opportunity they get to hear the name of Jesus mm. before they pass on to eternity. Mm -hmm. So that became an amazing mission field for the children. Cool. Um, just look for opportunities to invest your kids into the community and get the missions. What was it like to have your elementary kids serving alongside the residents at Teen Challenge in Perry? We, once again, we had hip-hop teams and just all kinds of different teams, and the kids would get up and testify, and one would dance or sing, and then the men would sing a song and give a testimony. <laughs> we would just go back and forth. And I remember one time we took the kids to Perry, and it was amazing because my wife is one that's like in the background most of the time, and she got up and preached the most amazing <laughs> message to these you know, men that are in there for whatever reason. You know, here's my wife up there, but I mean, they all had tears coming out. Yeah. It was just like a Holy Spirit moment that came over her. And, and not just for the opportunity for the men to have that opportunity, but the children saw yeah. this take place. And, yeah. uh, and, and then we had lunch with all the men afterwards, so it went both ways, but it was a huge investment into the life of those kids, seeing that they could make a difference in and whether it's a whether it's teens at an any reservation or elementary kids at Teen Challenge Perry or you know taking like you did taking kids up to Rainbow Babies and Children and doing Builder Bear projects with terminally ill kids with elementary kids, uh, what's that all about? It's about growing a heart for people. 
in the next generation. Along those lines, as we did Build-A-Bear and uh, connected with a adoption agency, and it was a Jewish adoption agency, it was just a random thought that the kids went and did a Build-A-Bear, and then there comes the opportunity where you put the heart in the bear, and I was like, can we stop for a moment? We prayed for that heart that was being put into that bear, and then we took those Build-A-Bears to the adoption agency, and that was the tool that they used to teach the child about adoption, and they took that bear with them, and they left the adopted. Mm -hmm. And then it was the kids, they continued to pray for each and every one of those children that received their bear. So mm -hmm. just another way for kids to invest. Sweet. What else, ways churches are engaging teens, kids, adults in local opportunities, international opportunities? Anything come to mind at all? Huh? What are we talking about? We're talking about being mobilizers here. We're talking about that sine qua non of getting contagious and saying, I'm going, I'm taking people with me. Yeah. I just am in my internship for my licensing level, and I just read the book Conspiracy of Kindness. Mm-hmm. Good. And gave him a conspiracy of kindness card. Hmm. And I said, This is what we're going to do for our community. We're going to show them the love of Jesus in good ways. And so, I, you know, I had them conversing, you know, what they felt like God was asking them to do as a family. And so we're starting it in April, and I'm super, super psyched. Super excited to see what God's going to do in our community, but in the hearts of our people. I'm thinking back, so Conspiracy, Conspiracy of Kindness, the book, and Ways to Show Random Acts of Kindness. I'm thinking back to one of the lead pastors in our fellowship of a long time ago, Tommy Barnett. And he had so many ministries going on. He had some, and, and, and uh, somebody asked him one time, how, you know, how do you, how do you get outside the four walls of the church to make a difference in people's lives? He said, it's simple. He said, go in your community, find a need, and just wrap a ministry around it. Find a need and just wrap a ministry around it. In, uh, in North Akron, with Celebration Church, every once a month on a Wednesday night, they do their own Convoy of Hope. And our students would serve in that every month. And you've got free haircuts going on over here. And you've got pedicures going on. For, and there's the whole Bhutanese community refugee community and their feet are being washed cared for pedicures being given you've got grocery areas you you've got all these random ministry opportunities and people in the church just jump in to serve the community that way there's just so many just so fi just finding a need and wrapping a ministry about it yeah this has to be tied with the proclamation of jesus yes and uh, at heartland we were giving out 400 farmers to families food boxes this summer 
and they had the line where you got your food, and then they had this prayer tent, mm -hmm. and everybody went right out the door without ever stopping at that prayer tent. And of course, I was a little shy, and I picked up the prayer tent, and moved it right over to the food line. <laughs> You're going to get prayed for before you get to the yeah, food okay. before you eat. <laughs> you know, we're, we're running out of time, but I just had a story come to mind for about five years in a row. Becky and I took high school juniors and seniors um, into the Peruvian Amazon, and we would collect um, eyeglasses before we went. Uh, and we would, and we just had these simple little eye charts because it wasn't that as we got on boats and went eight hours remote to villages on the river and stayed in tents with these teenagers, it wasn't that people couldn't see. Uh, or, or couldn't read. It's just they couldn't see. And they, this one little guy must have tried on 40 pairs of glasses. We had we'd ask churches in the area to donate eyeglasses. People had laying around they weren't using anymore. He finally found this pair of glasses, like <laughs> Fearless Fly, you know, <laughs> 80s women's glasses, these massive glasses. And he put them on, and he looked, and he grabbed my wife by the cheeks and said, "I can see you." <laughs> it was great. But somebody we're collecting eyeglasses, and somebody donated, like a hundred jars of this high-end ladies' nail polish. I said to our students, what are we going to do with this? And they said, we got an idea. We got in those villages, and one day they did a seminar for women in the village, these ladies that walk all over the earth with no shoes on. And they gathered them in a big hut, 30, 35 women. They just began to wash their feet. Paint their nails, pray for them, love on them, talk about Jesus. I was just blown away. And those were 16 and 17 year olds that came up with that idea, with that stuff. Well, we gotta, we gotta move quickly here. I, I wrote down here seven non-negotiable components to going to the next level in Great Commission ownership and involvement. And you can take time later to maybe rate, rate your church in these areas so that I can fly through this and we can get done. I don't see how in the next five minutes, but here we go. First of all, it begins with passionate and informed leadership. Okay, um, that was the Moravians. It started with Count von Zinzendorf who started the church. He had a passion of great, for the Great Commission that became contagious through the whole movement. And I've been challenging pastors as of late to say, you know what, we can't just see ourselves as shepherds of people, we're also stewards of callings. God is placing our charge people that are called. And we, we need to begin to identify and nourish and cultivate those callings. Uh, secondly, it requires tour guides versus travel agents, all right? God raised up tour guides in our churches. Thirdly, it necessitates restoration of regular, fervent, great commission prayer. You know, you read Paul's letters, and just about every church he writes to, somewhere along the line, he says, please pray for me, that I, as, even as I'm in chains, I can share the gospel. Please pray for me, because this door is opening, but there's many adversaries. He's always asking for prayer, and it dawned on me, that is a missionary asking a sending church for strategic intercession. That's all that is. And we need to ramp up. Strategic intercession. So I gave you a paper there, and it's just called Seven Ways to Pray for Nations, Tribes, and Tongues. And guys, this is just a 
this is what I've developed. It's just a personal go-to, and it's like it's like second nature to me now. As God puts a tribe on my heart, or a missionary on my heart, or a nation on my heart, or as I just say, God, who do you want me to pray for today? Just, you know, and there's scriptures there and explanation and all that, but to do this personally, to do this with small groups, to take a, to say, hey, pastor, can I just host a night of prayer for the nations, for our church? You get five, you get 10, you get 30, whatever. It's just like, pray for laborers, pray for open doors, pray for open minds and open eyes, pray for resources, all right? And just go right down the list and, and, and apply that to your missionaries, apply that to nations, apply that to people groups. It's just been a tool that we've used with students and young adults and it's a personal personal intercession pathway for me to pray pray for the nations. Um, it's sacrificially to um, take your church to the next level and great commission, ownership, involvement. It sacrificially requires the value of sending out our own and our best. The Antioch church became the first sending church in the world. Jerusalem didn't send, but Antioch did. It was in Acts 13 where the Holy Spirit spoke to a five-man international leadership team overseeing the Antioch church and said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to do. And they sent their best. They sent their best. Absolutely. Pastor. What about the associate pastor? Right. We've got to celebrate those things. We do. Uh, it prioritizes passion in the church to see the glory of God among all peoples. All right. Um, it helps every follower of Jesus put her, his or her hand on the mission spear. This is a whole conversation initiated by Dick Brogdon. But if you can imagine a bullseye, in the middle of that bullseye is Revelation 7-9. Every tribe and tongue on the planet reach, giving glory to God. And then there's a spear. And the head of the spear, all right, the tip of the spear is that missionary pioneer, that, that apostolic leader like a Paul or a Dick Brogdon or whoever's called to lead a team into an unreached people group area. The, the head of the spear is that team. Paul had Silas. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Dr. Luke, you know, and they all had their different roles on the team. That's... That's what needs to get sent. But how many of you know throwing a spearhead doesn't hit the target very often without the shaft? And that shaft basically is a picture of the entire body of Christ with her hand on the spear, intercession, giving. Where's your hand at on the spear? Getting the whole body of Christ with their hand on the spear. It engages every church in an adopt-a-tribe movement. Man... Why can't every church in Ohio adopt one or two tribes and say, we're going to pray for that tribe? Just pray for them. Connect with AGWM and say, what, in this part of the world, where are we initiating works with new tribes? We want to pray for them. And then as you find out who that missionary is, to get involved. Hmm? So adopt a tribe is something that's really grown in my heart. Um, it restores... The conviction of God's Revelation 7-9 dream as the purpose for the church. Five quick habits and one ro ro Rosie the Riveter push and we're done here, all right? The habit, and I call these habits, and this is something I got from a book, Claude Hickman, Live Life on Purpose, phenomenal. It's recommended to you at the bottom of the page. Claude says these are not roles, these are habits. Because the temptation is to say, my role is to give but not to go. My role is to pray, but not to give. And he says these are five habits of Great Commission Christians, all right? Going, as Pastor Dave said, everybody needs to go at least once, all right? Um, there's a church in Atlanta. 
Chi Alpha president we had in the Cleveland area, graduated 20 years later. He's the president of a huge corporation in Atlanta. He attends an independent church. You pull into the parking lot, and the flags of the nations are already hanging outside. Mike said to me, uh, his kids are teens now. He said, um, every Sunday of the year, we're praying for another team that's going out. Every Sunday of the year. Mm-hmm. I said, how does that work? He said, well, he said, when my kids were fourth and fifth grade, they were invited with a parent to do a weekend in the most racially or culturally diverse neighborhood in Atlanta as parent-child. When they go into sixth and seventh grades, they're invited to go to, with the team to Dallas. When they're in ninth and tenth grade, they go to Mexico. And then they're invited to go to our nas- international pursuits. All over. They've got this pipeline. And I'm thinking, Pastor Dave, if a local church can do that, can't a network do something like that? Huh? So, going, giving, hmm, praying, you and I can go anywhere in the world every day and make a difference in the world. Don't even need a passport. We just need to hit our knees. Praying. There's your handout for how to pray for nations. Welcoming. Just had a great session. If you didn't get a chance to go, uh, listen to it with our Chi Alpha directors talking about how to, how to love. The, the nations are our neighbors now. We don't have to cross the seas. Just cross the streets to connect and make a difference in the lives of people from other cultures. Welcoming, all right? mobilizing. You and I, let's get contagious. Let's create that pipeline. I believe with all my heart that God's calling eighth graders right now in our churches. And how are we facilitating that? So the Rosie the Riveter challenge, and we'll be done. Do you remember the image, World War II image, of Rosie the Riveter, the lady, you know, and she's got her arm up like this, and it's a, it was an inspiring poster for our nation. This whole Rosie the Riveter image was all about this. Yeah, we've got men on the front lines in Europe. We've got men on the front lines in the Pacific Theater, all right? But what happens at home is really important. When a nation is involved in a world war, World wars are total wars. And it required governments at that time to mobilize their entire populations into the war effort. If they were going to defeat the enemy, what happened at home was just as important as what was happening on the front lines. Rosie the Riveter, as the men went to the front lines, um, I'm thinking... People had to fill their spots in the factories, and those factories began to produce tanks and planes and all kinds of stuff. And people were buying war bonds. And a war bond was sold to create a bigger pile of money, 20 million, thank you very much, create a bigger pile of money to fund the effort. And the war bonds typically would be honored, but they'd have a lower yield than what... And I'm thinking, in the kingdom... Man, you buy a kingdom war bond that's going into the investment of the Great Commission, you may not get the ROI on earth, but the ROI is crazy good in heaven. So everything went into the effort because the work at home was just as essential for victory as the people on the front lines. We just need to get there. We just need to get there. God God help us. I, I put on your chairs as well. We're working with uh, Change the Map. This is a guide on 15 days to pray for the Buddhist world. Um, I've got more of these if you ever want them for your church.
but um, you know our our, our national our, our director for missions for the assembly guy Greg Mondes, a Ohio guy. And you were mentioning this earlier. His heart for the Buddhist world is just exploding right now. I've been all over the world. I've walked in temples in the Buddhist world, and I've never felt darkness like I felt there. We need to crack the darkness of the Buddhist world, so I encourage you to join the intercession movement for the, for the Buddhist world. So, all the sessions earlier today were very practical, very helpful. There's a, there's a link there on the bottom of that page. My session last year was all about how to mobilize short-term teams for long-term results. If you want to hear some of that, you can link into that. If you want to call me or talk to me anytime about anything, I'd love to help you and help you be a catalyst in your church and where God has called you. And so um, there's one other thing that's on there. John Piper, he preached a sermon at Passion, um, Passion 2000. And um, it's a seven and a half minute clip on YouTube that is the best seven and a half minutes on missions I've ever heard. And he just, it's part of his Shell's sermon. I just encourage you to click on that link and listen to it. He's talking to thousands and thousands of collegians in Washington, D.C., but it speaks to everybody. All right? Any other thoughts or questions? We flew through it the best we could. Sorry to keep you five minutes over here. Hi. We good? Hey, Pastor Dave, can you just close our time here together? Yeah, go right ahead. Father, we thank you for uh, your call because you have a missionary heart and uh, you call us to join with you in that mission. And I pray that uh, we look for every opportunity to uh, multiply yes, God. our lives in other people's lives that they might reach the world. And so, Lord, thank you for each one that's here uh, today, let let our lives bring glory and praise to you as we make you known. So we thank you. Help us with this, with, with the great vision that you gave us, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.